Good morning. Do you know that the most, anybody, what is the most recognized word in every language around the world? Almost every language. Anybody know? Huh? <laughs> okay. Seriously, okay. Okay. You know, and, and it struck me this week that in Texas, it's not okay. Or should I say that the power grid of Texas needs to be more than just okay? <laughs> How many of you were affected in one way or another? Anybody raise hands? A lot of folks. A lot of folks. We, we opened the doors of the church for people to come up uh, for a warming station. We didn't have very many people come. And what's amazing is I've kind of talked to several people is that you opened your homes to friends and family. And those who were out of power and those who did have power shared together and created community. And I just think that's, a, that's an incredible witness to who we are as the people of God. That, uh, that in times of need, we reach out to each other. We reach out to each other. Well, um, often we respond with, it's okay. Somebody asks you how you're doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. The problem is none of us want to be average, right? Anybody here want just to be average? I don't think so. The story is told about one of the early Apollo projects that the astronauts were getting their places in the capsule and one of the technicians was helping them. And he said to them, he said, well, how you feeling? And one of the astronauts said, well, it does give me pause to think that I am sitting on top of this giant rocket that has been built by the lowest bidder. <laughs> but you know what? That's a lot the way a lot of us live our lives. According to the lowest bid. And sadly, that's how many of us show our love to Jesus. Just okay. Just average. Or, well, I'm, like my daughter would often say, at least I'm better than John. <laughs> Over the next seven, uh, six Sundays, we're going to take a look at those events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And we begin this morning with the story in Bethany of the anointing of Jesus by Mary. Our goal in these six weeks is to better know Jesus. And, and to some extent, I, it, this, is the first, this is the first event. And yet, for, for me, it, 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 in some ways, it should be the last. Because the better and more that we come to know Jesus, the greater our desire and our need to show Jesus, our adoration and worship. And yet this is where we begin. We begin in this great sacrifice that Mary shows Jesus. Our goal is to know Jesus better, to have a greater understanding of Jesus, so that we can more fully understand the victory that we will celebrate on Easter. Now, and Cindy mentioned the core groups. 
the core groups will be going deeper into the scriptures that I'll be preaching on, and I've provided some other scriptural background for those core groups to look at. So I hope that you will join one of the core groups and take the opportunity to dig deeper into these passages to come to know Jesus better. Today, we explore the extravagant adoration and love that is shown to Jesus. Now, all four of the Gospels record this story. All four. So we know that it's important. That it has significance to understanding who Jesus is. It was an extravagant act on the part of Mary. In fact, what Jesus says about this woman is that wherever the good news is shared, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And so as I move through this, I want to ask you a few questions. And please be considering these questions as we look at these scriptures. How will our devotion and adoration for Jesus be remembered? How will your children and your children's children talk about your adoration and worship of Jesus? Will our worship of Jesus, our love expressed for Jesus, have such depth that it will be shared from one generation to the next? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May these words be your words, O God. And for all that I don't speak, or for all that I might speak wrongly, I pray, O God, that you would step in with your Holy Spirit that we would hear and understand what you would have us to hear this morning. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All the Gospels record this story. It is found in Luke chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 26, and in John chapter 12. And all record a woman anointing the feet of Jesus, or anointing Jesus from head to toe. Now, Matthew and Mark's gospel are almost identical. John gives us some extra details. For example, he identifies that it's Simon Lazarus, the person who Jesus had raised from the dead. And so, probably, you know, Mary and Martha, and the, the Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was the one who did the anointing. It is John that says there is such an excess of oil that, that she uses her hair to wipe up the excess. It is John that shares with us that it is Judas that leads the argument on the questioning of this kind of extravagant money being spent for an anointing. And it is John that identifies that Judas uh, does so out of selfishness and out of his own concern for what he has been taking out of the treasury all along. Luke's account is the most different. And I, I could preach a whole other sermon on Luke's account. Luke has the anointing earlier in Jesus' ministry. Luke has it at, the, at a Pharisee's house. And there's enough evidence that Luke does not so much inform the anointing of Jesus at Bethany before the, before the week of, uh, of the Passover, but rather that it was a different 
um, event. And so I'm, I'm really not going to deal with Luke this morning. Maybe we can come back at another time and, and deal with the issues that Luke raises. So with that in mind, let's begin. I want to start with verse 3. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the poured the ointment on his head. Now, in, in each of these cases, as I move through this passage, I want to focus on adoration. And in this case, adoration requires action. Mary took action. Now, for, for a woman to interrupt men who are gathered together talking, uh, that was unusual. For a woman to, <laughs> who is that over there? I mean, I mean, are, are you doing so with great trepidation of what might come next? <laughs> or, or maybe you're not married and that's why. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. That wasn't in my sermon, by the way. But for a woman to interrupt men who are eating together was unacceptable. Unacceptable. And yet she does. The disciples here are thinking of Jesus in earthly terms. Mary understood the eternal significance of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. See, I believe as Jesus was talking about his suffering in the, earlier, uh, in the earlier discussions that he had with the disciples, Mary understood what was coming. Mary understood what Jesus was trying to say, that his kingdom was far more than the kingdoms of this world. But they were the kingdoms of heaven that may come on earth. While the str- disciples were st- still struggling with the kind of king that Jesus was to become, Mary fully understands the sacrifice of what Jesus is about to do and wants to express her utmost love withholding nothing. Adoration requires action. Verse 4 and 5. But some there who said to one another in anger, why was this ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they scolded her. Adoration requires understanding. The disciples became indignant because they didn't understand the person and work of Jesus. They viewed ministry in financial terms. Does that sound familiar? Anybody on the finance committee here? I mean, I'm not trying to be critical, but that's that's so often the way that we view the ministry is we view it in terms of of, uh, 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 the financial nature of things. That's not where Mary was. That's not at all where she was. She did not see Jesus' work in financial terms. She saw it in eternal terms. Of course, it is John who points out that Judas is the one who leads the argument because of his selfishness. But no doubt the disciples had begun to do the math. A whole year's wages? Think for a moment. Think for a moment. 
whole year's wages? But for Mary, the cost was insignificant to what Jesus was about to do for all of humanity. She knew that adoration and worship is not a matter of, of giving something so that God will be impressed with me. It is about being so impressed with Jesus that we bring everything we have as an expression of love. Did you hear that? It's not about impressing God. It's about doing, <laughs> it's about showing adoration because we can do no other. Verse 6 and 8 really gets to the heart of what's going on here. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me, for you will always have the poor with you, but you can show kindness to them wherever, whenever you wish. But, do not, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Adoration requires total involvement and sacrifice. This is the hardest place for us. The hardest place for us. And yet this is the heart of the passage. Now, I, I want to be clear here. Jesus is not discounting our call and the imperative of Christ followers to care for the poor and for those who are less fortunate than us. As we look at the Gospels as a whole, again and again, Jesus emphasizes our responsibility to care for those who are in need. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing is, is by referring back to the poor, he is putting emphasis upon what Mary has done. I mean, if, if one of the highest calls that we have is to care for the poor and those who are less fortunate, if what Mary has done is more important than that, her adoration raises to the highest level. Now, there's a phrase here that is translated, she has done what she could. Now, the phrase is this in Greek, etchen epizean. And, and these words are typically used in, in combination with a verb to add emphasis. They're, they're rarely used together independently. And they're very difficult to translate when there's not a verb associated with them. Literally translated, it does mean she did what she could. The problem is that it's more than that. Let's look at the words themselves. Etchen is literally translated to do something with close attention. Okay? Eposin is literally translated with purpose without delay. Instead of she did what she could, I would expand the phrase to read like this. She could think of nothing else until she did what she could do. In, in other words, her devotion, her, her, 
Her experience of Jesus was such that it didn't matter that she was interrupting the men. It didn't matter that it was unacceptable. She was driven with her heart to do no less than to show Jesus that extravagant love. She could do nothing else until she could do what she could do. Or it might be, it might be translated this way. She was consumed with the act of giving all she could. In other words, Mary realized that what Jesus was about to do was to offer through his sacrifice the forgiveness of sins for all people. That what Jesus was about to do was more than just establish or reestablish an earthly kingdom, but it was to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth that we might live differently together. Now, we can ask the question, what if Mary had said, I'll wait for the next time Jesus comes over for dinner? Have we ever done that? Um, I'll wait till next Sunday. Or I'll wait till the next time. Or I don't want to interrupt the men. There'll be another time. It's okay. But you see, in that Greek phrase... What we see in Mary was that she could do no other. It did not matter that she was interrupting the men. It didn't matter that it was, it was unacceptable for her to walk into the room. It didn't matter that, that, she was, uh, that she was literally spending a year's wages to show her love to Jesus. She was so overwhelmed that it had to be done now. That's what it means to love Jesus. That's what it means to love Jesus. And, and I believe that's why Jesus says in verse 9, Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Here it is. To know Jesus as we strive in looking at these events leading up to the crucifixion and, and resurrection of Jesus, to know Jesus is to worship Jesus. And when Jesus says what she has done will be told in remembrance of her, he points out the need for us to make adoration and worship our priority. That we should never miss the opportunity. And in fact, that we should search with diligence for every opportunity to show our devotion. In other words, be careful. Be careful. Be careful not to miss an opportunity to show devotion and love to Jesus. Be careful to make the most of every opportunity to show devotion to Jesus. Now, what we know is true. Everyone that was in that room in Bethany that evening had received something from Jesus. Every one of them. And, and, and my guess that you are here this morning and you have joined us online because there is either hunger in your soul or there is a need of what 
of, of response to what Jesus has done for you. Every one of them had received justice, had received something from Jesus. But only Mary was willing to step out and do something extravagant to demonstrate her love. Mary's worship was personal. She took what she had, even more probably than what she could afford to give glory to God. <laughs> you know, I... Uh, let, me, let me close with this challenge. What, what God has given to you and me, He wants us to use for His glory. God wants us to demonstrate our faith in devotion. And, and so I ask you, in what ways can we offer our time, talents, and treasures as an expression of our love for Christ? In what ways? Think about this this week. For love does not look for bargains. It is not cheap. It comes at great price. But only love, particularly the love of Jesus Christ that is eternal and without equal, can change the world. I, uh, I found a story about a guy that was looking for a, a Valentine gift for his wife. So he went to the, he was looking, and he went, he, he found the cosmetic uh, counter and perfume, and he thought, oh, it'd be nice to buy perfume. And so he said to the clerk, he said, do you have any perfume here? And so she, she immediately brought out this $180 bottle of perfume. And the guy said, no, 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 no. That's too much. So she brought out a $130 bottle of perfume. And he says, you misunderstand me. I don't want to spend that much money. So she brings out kind of a combination of a perfume. The lowest price was 18 and the highest price was 100 And he said, wait a minute. As he picked up the $18, he said, I want something cheap. And so the clerk handed him a mirror. What do you see when you look in the mirror? What do you see? Is Jesus the king of our lives? Does Jesus own all the things we have? If so, we can do no other than to give Jesus all the glory and all the adoration possible. When others criticized Mary, she still worshipped. When others were looking down on her, Mary only looked up. When others thought Mary had gone too far in her love for Jesus, Mary knew that it was only the beginning. At the beginning of the 20th century, William Borden was the heir of the Borden milk uh, dynasty at that particular time. Uh, we all know the family name, but few of us know his story. When he graduated from high school in 1904, he was already a millionaire. 
And there were those who expected him to take over the family business at one time. And, and uh, so he was sent to the best colleges. He surprised his family, though, by announcing one day while he was home from college that he'd been called to the mission field. They immediately tried to talk him out of it. What a waste, young man. What a waste. Look at what you have. <laughs> Look at your opportunity. What a waste. But he would not back down. In fact, it's told that what he wrote in his Bible were these words, no reserves. While he was at Yale, and as his faith deepened, he displayed a rare spiritual passion. He organized student Bible studies and prayer meetings, and the movement spread across the university. He started an outreach ministry to the poor in the nearby communities, the work touched thousands. But Borden never forgot his missionary call. And when he finished, he made plans to go to Princeton to get his degree there, to, pr to plan for the mission field. While he was there, he felt the call to go to Asia to preach to Muslims. His professors tried to talk him out of it. What a waste. See what you could do here. What a waste. After many conversations, it is said that he wrote in his Bible, no retreats, no retreats. Following his work at Princeton, he went to, e to uh, Egypt first to learn um, Arabic so that he could more fully communicate with the Muslims. While he was there, a short time after arriving, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, he was dead. 25 years old. 25 years old. At his funeral, classmates from Yale and Princeton, family members joined in the funeral, and they all, with almost unified voices, said, What a waste! What a waste! until they opened his Bible and found the first two phrases that he had written, no reserves, no retreats. But what he had written in the last days of his life as he laid in a bed in Egypt, he wrote these words, no regrets. Short or long, in terms of our life, rich or poor, Every life deserves to end with no regrets. And, and so as we show our adoration to Jesus, as we fully worship and give glory to him through our actions and through what we can sacrifice, we can say with confidence, when our time comes, no regrets. So this morning as we remember the extravagant devotional act of Mary, I ask you again, is Jesus the king of our lives? Does Jesus own all the things we have? And how can our worship, devotion, and sacrifice for Jesus be more than just okay? Amen.